Welcome to Creative Adventures with Rosa Lewis. This is part three of my conversation with James about work made meaningful. And in this episode, we talk about projection, flow states, conflict, interdependence and vulnerability, all in the context of work and spiritual practice. I think what you said about that we assume that other people are the same as us I think that's so important in a work context and a spiritual context that is like one of the biggest flaws of human beings is that we project what is in our inner worlds out into our outer worlds and we just think that everyone is running on the same operating system with the same values and just naming that and being aware that that is absolutely not the case is like so important once you've kind of like really spoken to people and dug into like their values and stuff you start to realize that everybody's different everyone is unique and everyone has different values and I think I really liked what you were saying about finding what you care about. I remember this made a big impact on me. We talked about this however many years ago it was. We were talking about flow states and you were saying Mm. that pay attention to when you're in a a flow state or when you feel good about yourself or when you're doing something that feels meaningful, but be a bit more like open and flexible about what it is about it that you like. So it might be dancing or it might be like cooking or it might be designing something, but you don't, that doesn't necessarily mean that you should become a dancer or a chef or it's digging deeper into that and understanding the values underneath. Is it the creativity? Is it the, so as a cook, when I enjoy cooking, it's all about creativity, just making it up as I go along, like figuring it out, because creativity is such a core value to me. Whereas someone else could enjoy cooking and thinking of, you know, when I've with other people and for them it's like all about the technicality it's like heat the meat to exactly this temperature you know if you cook it for 10 minutes more is it nicer that that isn't even like crossing my mind (laughs) I'm just so naturally kind of creative and expressive and non non and then other people for other people cooking is about it's about providing for others you know Mm. there's a need to yeah like for security of of the people around you like to feed them like at the at the very bottom of Maslow's hierarchy needs you know so actually it's not about heat it's not about flavor necessarily it's not about creativity it's about providing for your family or loved ones or you know or maybe in a wider setting for your customers in a restaurant or whatever the the, the flow one is an interesting example I, I can i can kind of illustrate that we, we probably talked about this before but first of all what i do is define flow and and there's usually like five ingredients so uh, in terms of flow, uh, I always describe it as when I go rock climbing. So when I go rock climbing, I'm there by choice, which is really important in terms of like, you know, understanding a flow state, like you have to be there by choice. And the next one might be that, you know, I have a clear goal. So when I'm climbing, I want to get to the top of that green one up there. So it's a clear goal. It's immersive. It's very absorbing. I'm not climbing and also thinking about what will I make for dinner. I'm absolutely focused on, on where I am. So that's like the third ing- third ingredient. And then you get immediate feedback in the moment. So with climbing, if I put my hand on something and the rest of my body is out of balance, I can feel that. I can feel that I'm about to swing open or, or something's going to happen. And so, yeah, with all of those ingredients, you can then like help people understand like that's what it is to be in flow. And then when have you ever experienced flow in your life? And I remember asking, just defining all of that to somebody and then asking them. And this was in a work context and we're trying to figure out, you know, something to do with career or something to do at work. And they thought about it and they're like, oh yeah, I've got it. I've got a good example. And, and their answer was dancing. 
And I remember at the time being fucked because I was like, okay, well, <laughs> that's not, you know, I don't see that you're going to become a dancer. But we, we kind of stuck with it and, and kept on penetrating into it. And actually, it, for that person, it was around the fact that when she's dancing and when she imagines herself dancing or when she brought up that particular scenario, there was a whole load of people around her and they're all her friends. So I, what we took out of that was much more around connection and, and yes, being creative and yes, being in the moment and all of those things. but with other people like this individual probably wouldn't have had the same flow example if she was just dancing around her kitchen you know to the radio or whatever Mm. it it was around the fact that there was other people so then we could use that as you say like kind of pull out that as an ingredient or in my mind it's kind of like you're forming a model you're trying to form a model of the person's future so pull that out and stick it on the model and make sure that that's the key ingredient for whatever you know you create so yeah, I, I think, yeah, you're right. Like it's not about just the superficial kind of analysis on, on what it is, but it's yeah about holding it and teasing it apart for all the different potential ingredients that need to be part of that. Basically, you're trying to design flow in the future, right? So if you can kind of understand your own experience of flow from your own past, not anyone else's, not, not a book, not a, you know, it's you. That's one of the best methods of understanding what also needs to be in your future. Yeah, nice. It's nice to be reminded of that. Yeah, I think there's something else in what you were saying before as well, which was that I guess I'm very driven and and motivated. I'm very driven by kind of like excellence. I really like when I work on projects for people to get to the end and like feel proud of what they've made. That's like a really core value of mine. And I I think it does seem to be quite a common thread. Like I think this sense of when people have worked on something and at the end they feel proud of it, that seems to be like fundamental to people's sense of satisfaction from work. And part of that for me is the phrase argue because you care about brilliance. So it's like this idea that if in a workplace there's space for people to disagree and space for arguments to be had, but it's not you attacking someone else, but you're kind of like standing up for something you believe in. It's like making space in a work context and in projects, I always made space for people to disagree But rather than it being me versus you or this person versus this person, it's like you're talking about the ideas. So um, like Lego series play is a really nice example of this, actually. So if you were talking about like innovation of a product or like how could we do this work better or whatever, rather than me saying, well, my idea is this and someone saying, well, I don't like that idea. That's crap. Everyone's coming up with ideas and building a model and then saying like what about this thing and what about this it takes you away from that me versus you and into how can we work together to make this thing better and bring in these divergent opinions if that makes sense yeah yeah totally i mean there's the rule in in lego series play as you get deeper into it and let's say you're building a whole system let's say you're like replicating your organization or something and you're trying to you know think about the different moving parts marketing and sale you know like the different aspects of an organization you built a whole model you might want to represent the values of different parts like the values of what's important to us in terms of marketing and like all that sort of stuff you'll end up with a whole like table massive table full of little models but the rules are that you question the model you don't question the person who built it because they just kind of had the inspiration the flash you know like the idea and it was important to them maybe but it doesn't mean that they're wronged you don't wrong the person but you you kind of like maybe can criticize and, and critique the model that they've built and I think that's exactly what you're talking about I, I, lo- I love when I when we do like brainstorming in you know with a team like there are actually rules of brainstorming like <laughs> I love reading them out because people are like what we don't need rules for brainstorming I got I've got brainstorming I know how to do that 
But there are rules for brainstorming, which I love. Some of the first couple of rules are like, there's no bad ideas. And, and it's interesting because actually people are like, yeah, 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 I get that. We have to just throw up loads of ideas. And then you give them a, a bunch of post-it notes and a pen and they're paused. And you know what's happening is they're self-criticizing their ideas into, oh, that will never work. So I won't write it down. I won't stick it up. And then because I might be humiliated because someone will think that like having a pink website's crazy or whatever, you know, whatever silly idea. And I think, yeah, with, with the rules of brainstorming, like if you kind of adopt like the, the classic kind of double diamond like approach where you kind of get loads of ideas up on the walls, there's no bad ideas. More ideas lead to more ideas. So, you know, just throw up everything. Like on my website, I want a picture of someone playing a piano. You know, it's like, well, why? It's not about why. It's just like get the ideas up, do a little doodle of a piano. And then someone will look at that piano and they'll see the black and white keys and they're like, oh gosh, I've just had an idea. You know, it's that's what stimulates, you know, and then you know, you'll get people to go over and like pick out the post-it notes, you know, or maybe score the post-it notes that are most relevant to them, you know, and then you'll go again. Based on that theme, you might kind of have more ideas. Anyway, that process is well known and, and it works extremely well because it allows for divergent thinking and then like doubling down on, on particular strands and it caters for collaboration. Like people are brought on along like as you go. But the other thing you were saying was about like challenging people and, and one of my favorite books in terms of team stuff is um five dysfunctions of a team and he has this kind of like there's five dysfunctions of a team I've got the book here Patrick Lencioni and his model is like let me just get the picture it's like a pyramid at the bottom of the pyramid there's absence of trust so we all understand that if you don't if you can't trust the people around you you, you know you're not really going to be a high performing team but the next one above that is fear of conflict so if people are afraid to challenge the ideas of like their colleague or their or the CEO or whatever well, you're not really going to get much innovation and you're not going to get much, you know, you're not going to get everyone's ideas represented in whatever solution you're building. After that, just for interest, is lack of commitment, uh, avoidance of accountability and inattention to results. But yeah, th- just the point that you're making around like fear of conflict, like or having space to be able to challenge the idea and not the person and that, that being safe and permitted. And yeah, that's a big one in the world of work, I think. Yeah, and I think that's like hard to do if you don't have a degree of presence and self-awareness, which is, again, like where that kind of spiritual practice of it comes in. For me, it's like developing the capacity to be able to hold conflict and hold like disagreements and make space for that and to allow people to yeah like challenge you and and all of those things or like just like developing your own like resilience and capacity to engage with people in a more open way if you can do that and bring it into the workplace that's how it's going to start changing people's lives like yes you can practice for yourself and you might be less stressed and you might be all of those things but if you can bring it back into the world bring it back into the workplace then it has this like amazing ripple effect where it starts impacting people's daily lives and people become inspired to practice themselves and it just creates a kind of positive upward cycle I think. Yeah it's kind of like this idea of you know particularly in Buddhism the idea of recluse like you kind of go into your cave and you just meditate for the rest of your life there on your own like and in a way you know you know there's no question about it like you might be able to achieve enlightenment in some respects quicker because you've got minimal distractions and you haven't got children asking to be fed and whatever. But like, what value is it? You know, like, yes, one person has become enlightened and and self-actualized in a way. But what value is that to the world? Like, you know, and I suppose, you know, when you think about the life of Buddha, like he he walked away from his young 
family and child and um, I went off and went off into the woods and you know did become enlightened but then he came back and kind of wanted to show other people the path you know and, and I think that's the important part isn't it and in a way you also I think for me actually I'd be you know have any hope of any sort of enlightenment or any sort of further consciousness or anything like that it's actually by virtue of being with other people it's not like yes I, I would be tempted to kind of disappear into a a comfortable cave, <laughs> a warm cave, ample food. Um, yeah, I could. I, I, there's parts of me that could, you know, I could see that and I could see the attraction of that. But actually, life is just like much more complex. And it's, it's kind of in that complexity, I think, that you, you really get to know yourself. And, you know, it's, it's really highlighted back to you if you're, if you're willing to receive it, like the area for your growth. <laughs> you know? Yeah, 100%. Like, I think it's so fascinating. And I think that that was like, part of buddhism wasn't it it was like creating these environments these monasteries where people could go and live a life that was aligned with these kind of like buddhist values and i i feel like that doesn't hold anymore so it's almost like i guess this conversation is about like how do we make it so that daily life everyday life supports these values of compassion and um meaningfulness and like all these other things that spirituality can can give to us it's like how can just normal life become the support for that and I think like you say it offers a lot more challenges because everything's far more complex but also it offers like a level of richness that just like shutting yourself off from the world you don't get the same depth of experience where if you can be present with like the full range of human experience in all its like modern complexity and all of its like challenges and the world becomes like this whole exciting playground where we could be like innovating and making what doing work that's meaningful and like looking after each other and um, having fun and kind of like it's just a much richer experience I think. Yeah I, I feel like <laughs> this has been a tour of my bookshelf this conversation <laughs> but another another book I'd like to I wish I was getting some sort of royalty for this but another book <laughs> I'd like to mention is um uh, seven habits of highly effective people I forget the author but it's a very famous book anyway he he certainly for me introduced me to the idea of you know we have dependence so as a child you know you're dependent on your parents and then you have independence. So maybe as a as an eighteen year old, you might you know go away and you know do your own thing for a bit. And in a way, it's 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 funny to think of it as a teenager because you know they don't they've kind of moved away from caring about their parents and they're maybe you know, battling with their parents and you know they're, they're forcing their own way in the world and that's you know that's appropriate and that's fine. But but then you also above that, like I, I think the way I was brought up is that you're you're striving for independence. Like that's 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 what you're looking for. Like, that's a great achievement if you can be independent, which it is, it is. But there is something above that, which I, I'd never really thought about it or opened up to it until I read the book, which is interdependence. So like, you've gone through dependence, you've become independent, and then there's interdependence. So that, you know, I am a whole person. I'm, I'm you know, I've got talents and abilities and I've got needs and I've got all this stuff. But I also recognize that I need you, Mr. Shopkeeper, and I need you, like Mr. Person who collects my the, the recycling or whatever, you know, and actually, and in a work setting, this is really important, you know, or, or in a family setting or in a community, we're not really good as islands. In fact, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really work. Like, you know, it's hard to kind of make that life work. And I don't think many people would want to. We, we need to belong. We want to belong. And I think, you know, the whole idea of interdependence, like, 
yeah, it's it's like the meshing of of different people's values and and in my mind, I think a lot about this in terms of strengths, like the meshing of people's strengths, so that we're not out in the world trying to be a jack of all trades, doing a little bit of everything kind of badly, but you know we're free to to really double down on what it is that we're good at and and kind of be become a specialist at that. I mean, maybe you're a specialist generalist, whatever, like it doesn't matter, but you're free to own that niche that, that belongs to you, that, that kind of authenticity, that meaning. To take a real example, like, you know, I worked with someone who, um, you know, they were happy enough in their job, they were doing marketing and they ended up leaving and they got a job at a company which is all about like plastics in the ocean because that was like, it was still marketing. So they, you know, they didn't change their career. They changed their workplace and they were just much more content because they found people who believed in the same things as, as they did. And that was, you know, that was meaningful for them then. They were, you know, working towards something that for that individual, it was just much more meaningful. And, and they were able to mesh in. They were able to provide the marketing function for other people who were maybe scientists understanding plastic or, you know, all the different aspects. And so you kind of collaborate and become interdependent and, and yeah, move forward together, kind of locked in step because you're capitalizing on each other's strengths you've you've kind of created this win-win-win situation it's a win for the person who's you know performing those strengths the marketeer it's a win for their colleagues because you know they enjoy working with someone who's so motivated to work on that cause and it's a win for the organization because they've got a, a keen motivated worker who's good and i guess it's a win you know for the planet and you know for us at, at large because this person has become aware of of where her interests lie and where you know her passions are, and then she's you know put her money where her mouth is, and she's possibly even taken a you know a, a decrease in income. Who knows? But she's gone off and pursued it, and yeah. So I, I I don't know. I think that kind of point of interdependence and finding a way to collaborate and and accommodate each other and kind of maximize and capitalize on each other's strengths. Like I find there's certain jobs that I find really challenging in my business are just generally, maybe it's like writing websites or, you know, reading legal documents. And, but at the time, I kind of feel like I must do this myself. <laughs> Where there are people who actually enjoy that stuff. My brain tells me, you cannot ask anyone else to do this because this job sucks and no one else could possibly ever want to do this freely. That's just not true though. Like there are people who have studied the law and they like going through legal documents and finding loopholes or whatever it is you know and actually there's a whole you know gaggle of people out there who would only be too delighted to kind of like tackle that little annoying job that i put upon myself that probably takes me hours or it might take them minutes you know anyway so i think i think there's like a huge efficiency to be had you know when you become interdependent and you recognize your own weaknesses or or the things that you don't like doing put it that way or you know you don't really want to specialize in and then you can kind of offset that still get the job done but by collaborating with someone else which you'll probably enjoy yes yeah I love that That distinction between like dependence or codependence and interdependence Mm. I think the difference is yeah exactly like you described it's like codependence has a sort of childish quality to it whereas interdependence it's like grown-ups kind of showing up and taking responsibility and I think it's interesting because they're two of the factors you need for collaborative working so one is self-responsibility or self-management so you're taking full responsibility for how you 
show up you're not kind of like going into blame of like oh well I didn't do this because they didn't do that or you're kind of like I'm here I'm responsible for myself and yeah another one is wholeness so it's like welcoming the bits exactly like you say like your weaknesses or maybe like also welcoming the bits of you where like if you feel uncomfortable with something or if you're not enjoying something or if something feels difficult in some way at work like that's welcome and you're allowed to talk about it and share it because then it it gives space for another person to step up and say like oh actually I'm happy to do that or okay yeah how can we problem solve this together it kind of allows for that collaborative the vulnerability is almost vital for the collaboration otherwise you don't get that interdependence you just get silos of people working trying to prove themselves or like trying not to get it wrong Mm. it's that kind of like door of opening a bit of vulnerability and a bit of wholeness and a bit of like showing your weaknesses or admitting what you don't enjoy that then it gives space for people to like mesh in a really nice way where they're helping each other out it's so it's so true like yeah the opposite to vulnerability in a workplace is like is having the facade right you know it's like Mm. You know, I've been employed to do this job. So I am the version of that, you know, manifest in a human. Like, it doesn't work that way. Like, we've got, like, other strengths that are not on the job description. And then we've got weaknesses that don't neatly match the kind of perfect model that someone drew up of that job. Like, that's just doesn't work that way you know we need to be a bit more emotionally intelligent than that but I do think like vulnerability is hard like you know sharing things that you feel are difficult for you or or the fact that you're going through a difficult thing in life you know like whether it's mental health or grief or you know whatever or, or even just that things are challenging and you can't even find a way of describing it but you know I just like a little bit more compassion. 100% agree I think it's hard for people and I think that's again like where the spiritual practice can come in and that I think going back to what you said like it's, it's not in all spiritual practice but for me this is like one of the foundational things it's like how can we learn to meet our challenges and our vulnerabilities with more compassion partially just because that's we feel better when we we do that but also so that we can show up in a way where we're not reacting and yeah it's not a trigger point for us anymore it becomes a doorway for connection rather than a thing that we need to cover up or Mm. avoid in some way yeah like it's it's a fascinating area I, I think what I've really observed and really seen is that vulnerability is hard like and I think in a workplace setting it is it is challenging to kind of be like I'm not very good at this or I don't you know I don't want to do this or I'm struggling here or whatever um or I you know I disagree anyway it, I think it's challenging but what I've noticed is that vulnerability is also kind of contagious like once one person in any context becomes vulnerable it's like it just steps everyone down another level like you can permit yourself to kind of then also open up like it's just incredible so I don't know for anyone who happens to tune in like I I just put it out there as a challenge to kind of be even like one micro step vulnerable with your colleagues or with the people around you with your family with your you know whomever with your friends like when you role model vulnerability, it does become a bit contagious. I, I just think it's really important, like particularly leaders, if leaders can role model vulnerability, they will be able to hear how the actual workforce and you know, the people around them are doing. And it's, that's a really challenging um, mindset because most leaders, they understand role modeling on a level. And so they understand like it's their job in a way to, to be strong and to be seen, to be doing, to be working hard and doing a good job and very considered and all the rest. But if you don't also role model, you know, the softer stuff, the kind of emotional stuff, the hard stuff, 
then you don't really create a culture in, in work that permits anyone else to do it because everyone is just emulating you in a small way, unless they're very brave and unless they're very well developed and um, personally developed. So I think it's really imperative for a leader to role model and even try, try it out, like try it in an interview. In your next interview, if you're, you know, if you're interviewing people, be vulnerable and see where that takes you in the interview. You will get more from the candidate rather than, yes, we all, we're all stiff upper lip here. Yes, yes, no, no chinks in our armor. You know, carry on, carry on. How brilliant are you at this? Yeah, anyway, it's something I feel strongly about. Yeah, this is something I feel very strongly about. <laughs> and um, there's, they've done loads of research that basically in... <laughs> incompetent white men are the people who are most likely to be promoted more than competent white men even (laughs) because we have this fixed idea of what a good leader is and it's someone who like is strong and authoritative and makes strong decisions and like you know behavior and actually it's things that are like emotional intelligence intelligence the ability to listen the ability to like nourish other people all of those traits that make you competent and this discord between how people are perceived and what impact they're actually having means that the wrong people get promoted all these incompetent people mm. Yeah, so there's something about breaking that cycle. You don't have to look too far for good examples of this, right? <laughs> yeah, right, like all the political leaders. <laughs> look at the leadership of, of some of the bigger countries in the world at the moment. Just for yeah. example. You know. <laughs> yeah, who are the people who've been promoted to the top jobs in the world? <laughs> it's Why have they been promoted to that one job? <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty staggering, isn't it? It's so sad. Whereas you look at the female leadership in, in, in countries and it's just, it, it seems, you know, I'm, I'm not studying this stuff, but it seems much more humane, like much more considered, much more kind of community orientated, much more like, let's not leave anyone behind, kind of rather than winners and losers. And like the competitive thing is a man's thing. Like it's not, it's not to say that women aren't competitive. You know, it's great. It's, that's, that's not the point. But I think if you were to generalize a type of trait it's kind of more so belonging to a man and it doesn't yeah, really I think help it's us. like a masculine trait isn't it which we all have but it's yeah it's kind of like a typically masculine trait and yeah I guess I'm very careful just I think it's worth saying that I yeah it's like not necessarily men and women because in these studies it was showing that if men adopt these you know emotional intelligence and things like that they were also losing out in terms of promotion but I think maybe there's something about something really important in terms of workplace and knowing yourself and all of that in checking your assumptions about what competency looks like if everyone was to do that just to go home and really like reflect on when someone has brought the best out in them and like when they really enjoy working with someone and like all of these things and kind of like built up a model of what competency looks like based on like their own experience and their own what has brought value rather than like just assuming that they know already what it looks like I think that that's like immensely valuable when people have taken the time to do that for themselves Mm. that feels like to me it's back to kind of the bias thing you know like, like we know ourselves too well I suppose and then we use 
our understanding of ourselves to look out into the world and and kind of just assume that, that that's the way the world is like we're looking very much through our own kind of lenses I want to look this up because I'm there's a book I'm reading at the moment which talks about it and I never knew oh, great. You, yeah yeah you the line like there's actually a term for this yeah so sorry it's called the false consensus effect so you know scientifically kind of validated or verified so the false consensus is like because that's how it works in your own head in your own processing a brilliant example of this for me is um I was absolutely sure absolutely sure we would remain in the European Union because everybody I knew bar one person but everybody pretty much I knew um was voting to remain and I was shell-shocked absolutely to find on the day that that was not what we all collectively voted I just could not like that was just you know just such a profound moment I'm like what because it, it really spoke to how I had rationalized all that or you know I, I definitely voted and I was of course I was going to vote but it was so locked in in my mind I was like you know almost like oh do I need to go to the polls you know like it was just really it was going to be a landslide in my mind yeah and I think that's just you know the whole kind of echo chamber notion like mm-hmm. we're surrounded we've basically surrounded ourselves with people who are quite like us you know and 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 then we're also surrounded by our own thoughts and our own analysis and and it's just quicker for our brain to kind of assume like we take the models of our own thinking and lay it out onto the world and think that person's being lazy because they're not filling the dishwasher right <laughs> like, just as an example because my brain is telling me that you know because because it's it's very close to itself and and how it operates and then it's projecting this judgment onto the world so anyway I, I liked the fact that that has a term yeah definitely that's super helpful yeah and like everything we've talked about like ideas of what success looks like what competency looks like it's all like this false consensus isn't it and yeah. actually yeah I really wanted to speak to that because I feel like everything that is enlightenment or awakening or like deep meditation practice all it's really doing is taking away the false consensus effect and showing you reality as it really is and there's this really mystical side of that which is where you're opening into like interesting magical ways of being and aspects of reality that are completely different to how people go about their normal everyday lives but there's also this really simple but in a way way more profound version of that which is where you're like building the capacity to just show up in your life and like receive people and see people for who they really are, including yourself. So like being able to, in a work context, if a colleague's just like doing something that is, yeah, you think is wrong or is frustrating you or something like that, it's being able to receive the full picture of what you're getting. I guess it goes back to what we were saying about people are always doing their best. And if you can really like receive what they're saying, it's like, yeah, on the surface, they might be being stressful and difficult or something. But underneath that, for some reason, it's like a painful situation or it's something that they really care about and they're just trying to express it in this way. Or like that for me is in a way, way more profound because it offers the ability to actually like make a difference in the world and be of service and yeah create meaning in the world rather than just sort of experiencing some mystical thing that's just yours to have Mm. yeah yeah so the kind of practice that you would partake in like you know your spiritual practice is is kind of removing the layers of like remove those biases I guess or or the kind of yeah you're increasing your consciousness right of what patterns or what programming is happening yeah yeah nice and then in work, you're 
showing up in a way I guess there's like an orientation where you're showing up in a way where you're there there's like an element of service there you're not like going in with like what can I get from work it's like how can I serve in a way that's meaningful and rewarding and helps people and then that then feeds your self-actualization or your spiritual growth however you want to see it I guess yeah agreed (laughs) (laughs) or yes please (laughs) thanks for listening and the next episode will be the final part of this conversation thanks bye